Happy Holidays! This is Binging Christmas, a podcast dedicated to the best, worst, and campiest holiday movies TV has to offer. I'm Allie. And I'm T-Money. Let's get wrapping. And unwrapping? So our first movie this week, Never Kiss a Man in a Christmas Sweater, is about Maggie, who's played by Ashley Williams. She's a teacher in a small military town in Colorado. She has an 11-year-old daughter named Ellen, which is a weirdly old name for this 11-year-old child. And this is her first year without her daughter at Christmas because Ellen's going to spend it with her father and his new wife. On the way home from the last day of school, they pass a park where they see Lucas with a little boy that at the time they assume is his son. The little boy, I don't know who taught this child how to play on a playground, but the way he's riding this spring animal is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Lucas is just kind of standing there not paying attention, wearing a very ugly Christmas sweater, as the title might suggest. They're kind of making fun of him off to the side when they see the little boy fall off the toy and then run over to help. He's fine. Later, Maggie and Ellen are volunteering at this kids' club on the local Fort Pine military base. That's something we're going to come back to later because I have many thoughts. They're doing sort of a, a Christmas camp for these kids, I guess, and they're decorating it. And Maggie goes out to pick up a Christmas tree. As she's carrying the Christmas tree out of the lot, she accidentally runs into Lucas, who is jogging, and somehow knocks him unconscious with this Christmas tree. Cut to, they're at the hospital and he's getting surgery on his wrist. The nurse has called his family and it turns out that that kid was his nephew, not his son. And he shows up with his mother and actual father, who's Lucas's brother. It turns out that Lucas was planning to fly to, I think, Aspen to go skiing the next day. And now he can't because he has a broken wrist. For some reason, he's not staying with his family for the rest of the holidays. So instead, Maggie offers to let him stay at her guest house, which... I think she usually like Airbnbs or something. He ends up staying in her guest house. Her daughter eventually leaves to go spend time with her father. And Maggie, out of guilt, keeps trying to get Lucas to participate in Christmassy things. She eventually gets him to come volunteer at the kids camp with her where he starts to come out of his grumpy shell. And he's an architect, so he helps them build a giant gingerbread clubhouse. And of course, they fall in love. They attend some Christmas parties together. There is a classic misunderstanding where she thinks he's going back to New York to go back to work when actually he's decided to quit his job and move there to be with Maggie. But eventually they work it out and it ends with a kiss on her front porch. What did you think of this movie? I liked this movie. I think it was just one of the middle okay ones. I wanted maybe a little bit more from it. You know, it was cute, but it was nothing to write home about, as they say. Yeah, I had some very mixed feelings about this. There was more plot than I thought. The synopsis that they were advertising with just kind of says a single mom invites a stranger into her home and they spend Christmas together, basically, which was a crazy plot and is basically what happened. I honestly... (laughs) had some sympathy social anxiety for him for the first half of this movie because his holiday plans have been ruined. Again, I don't know why he doesn't stay with his own family. Well, their place was full, I guess. Of what? Of the three of them and the baby. Oh, no, the baby. It's because the baby almost sleeps through the night and so he decided not to stay there because he didn't want the baby to wake him up. Fine, I guess. But I feel bad for this guy because this woman will not leave him alone. If I were him, I just want, you know, you've already ruined my plans. Just leave me alone. I don't want to hang out with this stranger, but she will not let up. She's constantly like, come over for dinner. Come decorate the tree with us. Come volunteer with me. 
please leave me alone. That's the Hallmark Christmas way. Yeah, just is shove it down to, your throat. You shove it down your throat until you are forced to give in. The decorations for this movie were very cute. I loved her adorable little classroom. We only see it for the opening scene, but I thought it was super cute. I do like her first impression of him is his ugly sweater, which while I don't like that as a concept for an entire movie, I did enjoy it as sort of a callback to Bridget Jones. <laughs> I love Bridget Jones. And the first time she sees Mark Darcy, he's wearing an ugly Christmas sweater. It also just gave them opportunities to say the title a few times. Oh my god, yeah. I put say the title on the bingo card and then later regretted it because I thought, how many times does anyone actually say the title in these movies? They said it so many times in this movie. They did. It was at least like three or four, yeah. I feel like. I also loved the idea of gingerbread architecture. This professional New York architect coming in and first he like helps these kids build their little gingerbread houses and then one child is talking about how him and his dad had built this big clubhouse in their backyard and how he misses his dad and wishes his dad could help him build the gingerbread house. So then they decide to build a gingerbread style wooden clubhouse and that becomes their big Christmas project. And I thought that was super cute. It was. It was a cute idea. You know, of course, he's an architect. Classic of course, Hallmark they're job. building gingerbread houses. But I kind of wish they focused more on the gingerbread house, too. The fun of making it and decorating it. It just, it was like a forefront. And then it later just became an afterthought. Like, oh, there's the house. And, you know, it didn't really look all gingerbready. Yeah, they only made maybe one comment about making fake candy for it. And then they just suddenly had a bunch of fake candy. I would have enjoyed a little more involvement in that process. If you like gingerbread architecture, you need to see a gingerbread romance with Tia Maori Hardict. She's an architect and her firm hires her to enter into this contest to build gingerbreads, but she has to team up with a local baker in order to make the gingerbread houses. But it's like gigantic gingerbread houses and so they could be like skyscrapers or different structures or whatever and that gets into the full-on gingerbread decorating christmas concept which i thought was really cool so you should check that movie out if you want actual architecture gingerbread people i feel like maybe i've seen a part of that movie while flipping channels but i haven't actually seen the full movie i also love that ashley williams is the protagonist because i always think of her as victoria from how I Met Your Mother, in which she also dates a New York architect. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. That is hilarious. Is that guy Ted Mosby? Ted Mosby, New York architect. But Ted specifically wants to build New York skyscrapers, whereas Lucas is tired of building New York skyscrapers and wants to build houses. Yes. He feels very strongly about building houses. Also, when Maggie's talking to Ellen about her plans with her father and her new stepmom. One of the things that apparently they're doing for Christmas is going on a tour of this chocolate factory that her stepmother's family owns. I would so much rather have seen that movie. I want a Willy Wonka Christmas movie about Ellen and her stepmom and her dad touring a chocolate factory at Christmas. That sounds amazing. That does sound amazing, but what's the story? I don't know. I don't know. We'll find it. But that's such a better setting than... So one issue I had with this movie, it was so military heavy considering none of the characters were involved with the military and the military was not mentioned once in the synopsis that they were advertising this movie under. Yeah. It really came out of nowhere and then did not stop. It was just nonstop 
military propaganda to the point where honestly it was kind of annoying me but i will admit i i fully cried at the end of course but i feel like that was the point they wanted that tearjerker moment they got it they got it yes the other thing that i didn't like about it was i didn't feel like ashley williams aka maggie's character was fully developed like okay so i understand that the hallmark woman has to be a saint i read this article which i should actually forward you You'd think it was really interesting i think entertainment weekly put out the article about how they make hallmark movies and they always say the women have to be saints the women have to be absolutely sa- saints have to always love christmas have to just be the perfect woman and i felt like they really hit that home this woman had no flaws which to me, made her feel one no. It was kind of like her only flaw was that she did too much for other people and didn't think about herself. But I feel like that's such a work flaw. Like, you know, when they ask you, what's your one flaw? And you have to still make yourself sound good. So you're like, oh, I work too hard. You know, that was her flaw. And that's not a flaw. She's just a good person. And everybody was almost just making her feel bad for being a good person. And she needed a little more flaws to give her that depth. Like, he had depth. He was taking a break from his architecture company because he needed a break. He had all these layers to him. He was grumpy because he wasn't doing what he wanted to do. So what was what was her motivation? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say her biggest flaw that she was just super annoying for the first half of this movie. Yeah, well, you know, she didn't want to be sued. Yeah, that was their reasoning. For me, though, it felt more like she was in denial about how lonely she was going to be spending Christmas without her daughter for the first time. And so was just sort of latching on to this stranger who fell into her life. Which I feel like they should have played up upon more than if that's what the case was or if that's what they were going for. They had that moment where she was looking at the tree and she was like... You know, I've never decorated this tree the way that I really wanted to. And I wish that they did more things like that with her. Yeah, I agree. One thought I had while watching this movie is that there was a trope missing from my list that I need to start adding, which is lost passion. Because Lucas had lost his passion for architecture, just like Margot and Chateau Christmas had lost her passion for playing the piano. That is a big trope in a lot of Hallmark movies this year, especially ones that are music-based like Christmas in Vienna, the girl going to Vienna has lost her passion for playing the violin or whatever instrument she plays. Other tropes that this movie had were obviously military themes. Right off the bat, Maggie's wearing an excellent coat. Love her coat. And I love that they reused the coat like a normal person would. You wouldn't just wear different coats every day. She wore that multiple times with multiple outfits like a real person, which I really like that. She was also a single parent, although I was surprised that she was actually divorced and that they showed the ex-husband. But they had a good relationship, so I guess that was the hallmark twist on on divorce. I mean, it was a good relationship, but it also didn't feel like it was a great one. Usually they're very centered on happy families. I feel like they didn't get along all that well, or she didn't like the new wife. Well, so they never showed her directly disliking the new wife. When they interacted, they were pleasant enough. But I did love... Later on, when she's talking to Lucas about why the marriage failed, it wasn't delivered in an insulting way, but I love the sort of backhanded comment where she's talking about how she and her husband got divorced because he wanted someone who would live life on his terms, and that's what he found in his new wife. Yeah. Basically, this woman (laughs) is just a two-dimensional character who lets him do whatever he wants. Yeah, right? Who has no opinions. But she comes with the chocolate factory, so you know what? That's a big selling point. 
Yeah. I mean, but then the fact, too, that the daughter is homesick for the mom also just made me feel like the daughter doesn't have that great of a relationship with her dad either. Yeah, well, if the reason the marriage broke up was because he was so busy with work as opposed to family, then that's not super surprising. And apparently her stepmother doesn't have much of a personality. (laughs) There was a classic misunderstanding where she goes to tell Lucas how she feels and then overhears him saying that he's bought a plane ticket and then she assumes that means he's going back to New York when in reality he's going back to move to be with her. Yes, I actually wrote in my notes, quote, if you're going to eavesdrop on somebody, you should eavesdrop on the entire conversation, end quote. Or just stop eavesdropping. There was this eavesdropping scene in One Royal Christmas that was honestly unnecessary because there was no misunderstanding. I guess it was just her learning about him because he was too closed off to tell her directly. So she had to listen in on him talking to his mother. Just tell people how you feel, people. Communication. There was a classic Christmas deadline, getting this party ready before Christmas. There was a stranded character, I guess. Lucas couldn't go on his vacation because he had a broken arm and he had to stay to get a checkup with the doctor in a week. But couldn't he have just checked up with the doctor in Aspen? Couldn't they have referred him? Well, I don't think you're supposed to fly with a broken bone, though. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I don't know if I knew that. But also, I don't understand how fast was he running? She didn't hit him with a tree. He just ran into it while jogging. And then he fell and was knocked unconscious and broke his wrist to the point that he needed surgery? Well, maybe she hit him in the head and then he used his wrist to break his fall on the slippery ice. Maybe. And landed on his wrist. They didn't explain that very well. Yeah, it seemed a bit crazy to me. But at least he didn't, like, get amnesia and then she had to take him in until he found his family. That would have been too stressful because at the time she thought he was a dad and then to not be able to know where his son was, that would have been way too stressful for a Hallmark movie. That is true. This movie had some decent diversity. The opening scene, she's sending her kids home for the holidays. In addition to Merry Christmas, she also says Happy Hanukkah. Her best friend is a black woman. His sister-in-law and nephew are both Asian. So there's some Hallmark Asians. I don't think we've seen Asians in Hallmark movies before. No, not really. I think actually Katrina Law might be part Asian. At one point in the movie, they have to get permission or assistance from the local colonel who is a woman, which I liked, but I did not like that they made a big deal that she was a woman. Like, they could have just said, let's go see the colonel, and the colonel happens to be a woman. They didn't have to directly comment where she goes, yeah, let's go see him, and then her friend's like, her, the colonel's a woman. Yeah, that was a little... Unnecessary. Unnecessary, that's the word. So this movie was not as sassy as some of the other ones we've watched recently. There were still a couple lines that I enjoyed, though. For instance, the first time they say the title is when she's telling her best friend about how she saw this man in an ugly Christmas sweater. And she goes, Isn't there an old saying, one should never kiss a man in a Christmas sweater? And her friend goes, No, that's not a thing. Yeah, because where did that saying even come from? What is that saying? Is that even a thing? They just made it up to justify this title, I think. But where did that title even come from? It had to come from somewhere. Are you looking up the... I'm looking looking up if it's an actual saying. Yeah, I've never heard it. Oh, like you said, Never Kiss a Man in a Christmas Jumper. You said it was off of that book, maybe, right? Oh, that's right. It was a British book. So maybe it's a British phrase. Which would make sense because, you know, Bridget Jones was also British. Why, though? I mean, a jumper, maybe. 
Although is a jumper just a sweater? Yeah, a jumper is just oh, okay. what British people call sweaters. Because I think of a jumper as... Oh, like a onesie. Like a onesie. Yeah, yeah. no, no, no. Because then maybe I would agree with that. Maybe yes, don't I would not kiss a man in a Christmas onesie. <laughs> I will agree with that. <laughs> they also enjoyed... I thought it was sort of meta when Lucas comes to knock on her door because they're having Wi-Fi issues and he says... Yeah, I was streaming this truly terrible movie. I, I need to know how it ends. That's how I got into Hallmark movies was the TV would just be on and they were kind of awful and yet I needed to know how they ended. That's how I feel about Lifetime movies, you know, where they're like, killer cheerleaders are taking over and you're like, this is ridiculous. And then 10 minutes in, you're like, well, now I have to finish it. Yeah, exactly. I've been pulled in. Another, it's sort of a throwaway line, but I couldn't help laughing at the scene where they go to a Christmas party at his brother's house and it's an ugly sweater party but also a white elephant party and one of the guests has to zoom in or skype in which is sort of stupid but it was it was set up to you know inspire her to have the military parents video chat in so this woman is you know skyping in to pick her white elephant present and they're just kind of carrying an ipad around to show her the presents and then she's like oh open this box let's see what's in there and they open it up and it's like a porcelain white elephant and she says something about how it's a little on the nose but definitely something i can use a porcelain white elephant i mean you could use it as a paperweight a doorstop um i guess she's in the army throw it at the enemy i don't think she was in the army none of the actual characters in this movie were in the military other than the female colonel they were just volunteering yeah which i suppose is probably a thing although i will say one, I never remember there being a Christmas camp on Christmas Eve. Even if you have a parent who's deployed, you still have your other parent there. And then two, I feel like most of the volunteers would have been other military families. But I'm not going to pick that apart. I will pick apart the fact that they call it Fort Pine Military Base, Colorado. They don't even assign a branch of the military to this establishment. It's just military base. It's a general military base. That's not a thing, though. But then there's only five families that are a part of the camp. Yeah, there's nine kids with deployed parents. That's another thing. I mean, I suppose it depends on what that base is for. But in my experience, when I was in high school, we lived in Oklahoma. And that Christmas, almost all the dads on base had deployed to Iraq. But they had all deployed together to Iraq. The fact that this base has roughly five to nine people who have deployed and that they're in such wildly different places. One's in Germany, one's in Japan, one's in Greenland. Why is someone in Greenland? What are we doing in Greenland? (laughs) I don't understand what the premise of this. Whatever. I guess I'll stop picking it apart. My plot hole was that they never did anything with the tree that hit him. First of all, she had to go and buy a tree, even though there were 20 other trees already in there, but they needed 21, I guess. And then they didn't even decorate it, and then they just looked at it, and then nothing ever happened to it. So was this tree punished for being the tool that stopped somebody from going to Aspen? I assumed it got decorated eventually. The only time we really see it after the initial scene is the first time he comes to volunteer. And they did have sort of a cute bit where he's you know, suspicious of each tree they pass, trying to figure out which one it is that she had hit him with. And then he notices the one tree without decorations. But I assumed at some point someone decorated that tree. 
But that was so sad. It was like that tree was being punished. I think it was just the most recent tree. And because she had, you know, been derailed going to the hospital, no one had had time to decorate it yet. I guess so. I just worry about that tree. I hope it's okay. <laughs> I'm, sure the, I'm sure the tree got its day. It got its decorations and no one ever blamed it again. If anything, they now think fondly of that tree because it brought them together. There should be a movie called, like, The Loneliest Tree in the Tree Lot. And nobody wants to buy this tree. And you see all these happy families adopting all these trees. And then this lonely tree looks out. And then, I don't know, a happy couple adopts it. Sounds really depressing. (laughs) That is sad. (laughs) Um, Another, not really a plot hole, but just a, a line that bothered me was before they go... Before they go to the ugly sweater Christmas party, he's wearing the same ugly sweater we saw him in earlier. She comes down the stairs in sort of a sweater dress, and they're talking about how ugly it is. I didn't think her dress was ugly at all. I thought it was pretty cute. But she comes down to sit next to him. Their sweaters look nothing alike. They just happen to both be in ugly sweaters. Going to an ugly sweater party where everyone's going to be wearing ugly sweaters. And he makes some comment about... You know, being dressed like this, people may think that we're a couple. Why? Why would anybody think that? I know you're going to an ugly sweater party. Everybody else is going to be wearing sweaters just like him. But then, of course, she grabs his arm. So I'm like, okay, if you walk in like that, yeah, they're going to think you're a couple. And then my final plot hole was that her daughter came home on Christmas. Why would you bother going to spend Christmas with your dad if he's going to drop you off on Christmas? Because you split the holidays. Some families I know. Or when you visit in-laws, you spend Christmas Eve with one side of the family and then Christmas Day with the other side of the family. So then you don't lose out on the complete holiday. That seems crazy to me. Because then you are missing out on the holiday because you're spending so much time commuting from one to the other. But how far away were they? They didn't live that far from each other, right? I didn't think so. I don't know. But if that's the case, then I feel like she was being overly dramatic about not spending Christmas with your daughter. You did spend Christmas with your daughter. You just didn't spend Christmas Eve with your daughter. Well, all the fun Christmas prepping that you would do. Cookies and... Yeah. The one thing that I did like about this movie was the ending, which I actually posted on our Instagram, which is when she grabs him by the lapels at the end and then just pulls him in to kiss him. She knew what she wanted and she just went in for that kiss And it was like, I know what I want. I'm going to kiss you. As opposed to some of the other kisses are like, oh, look, mistletoe. This was just like, I want to kiss you. So I'm going to grab you and kiss you. And I like that. So our second movie this week is Christmas with the Darlings, which starred Katrina Law as Jessica, Carlo Marx as Max, and Steve Basic as Charles. It follows the story of Jessica, an executive assistant extraordinaire to Charles, the, I believe he was a CEO of the Darlington Company, which is simultaneously a faceless corporation and a family business. She's planning the Christmas party for the company, which will be her final act as an assistant before accepting a position with the company as a corporate lawyer, as she's just passed the bar. Everyone in this movie is an orphan. It is the most depressing Hallmark Christmas movie I have ever seen. Jessica grew up with a single mom who died when she was in high school. Charles, Max, and their brother went to boarding school after they lost their parents. And now Charles and Max are about to take guardianship for their nephew and two nieces because brother number three and his wife both died like three or four years ago, I think, when this movie starts. Charles wants to send the kids directly to the same boarding school they went to because he's leaving on a business trip and thinks that Max is an unreliable man-child as evidenced by the fact that he's on a ski trip, I guess. 
But Max is also the president of this company. But I guess just doesn't ever go to the company. Jessica remembers how hard the holidays are as an orphan. So she volunteers to watch the kids as they spend Christmas at home before going to school. And Max, who is obviously secretly in love with her, offers to help. They try to cram in as many holiday activities as possible to cheer the kids up while Jessica is simultaneously planning that Christmas party, which they're hoping will impress a big potential client. But when she finds an article about the client saying he prioritizes family over business, they somehow determine that means he doesn't like fancy things. So they cancel their big gala at a hotel and move the party to the Darlington family home, which is really an estate. It's a huge estate. The party is a big hit with the client, and so is Max, who now has a renewed interest in the business, thanks to Jessica. Meanwhile, the kids have reminded Jessica that she always wanted to go into family law, not corporate law. Max and Jessica admit their feelings to each other, and they sign the client, and everything seems great until Charles tells Max he needs to leave immediately for Asia, where he'll be moving for this new client, and that the kids have to then leave for boarding school early. Jessica makes the truly wild decision to raise these children to whom she is not related or has any legal claim in her former boss's house while also working full-time. Charles agrees to this but also convinces her to take the family law job because he's actually a nice guy. Jessica decides to run after Max only to meet him in the driveway coming back for her. He finally stands up to Charles, only to discover that, once again, Charles is in fact a perfectly nice and understanding man who agrees that Max can stay with the kids and live at home if he wants to and just commute for work. What did you think of this movie? Okay, just to clarify one thing in your recap, because it was actually one of my favorite parts of the movie. She was always going to do the family law and take care of the kids. And she actually brought that up because her boss was like, oh, so you're just going to give up your career and take care of these children that you don't know? And she's like, nuh-uh. No, I would still be an attorney. I mean, it is the 21st century. And there's a happy medium between kids in boarding school and me giving up my career. So that was actually one of the parts that I love because she sassed it right back to him. Yeah, that was a good line. But I only thought this movie was just okay. I felt like the tone of it was very weird. It was very awkward, which maybe that was what they were going for. But it almost just felt formal. Like everybody was just super formal and stiff and awkward with each other and I feel like, to me, it didn't really meld. The ending was cute. The whole going after each other, him coming back from the airport and her trying to stop him at the airport. That whole part was very cute and warm and hallmarky. But the whole movie tone in general was just very, not cold, formal. I don't know. What do you think? So it had the typical arc for me where I started skeptical and then was mostly won over by the end but I still throughout just kept thinking this is so depressing for a Hallmark movie. It had this underlying <laughs> sadness to it that I could not shake but in a lot of ways I I didn't hate it because I think it did add some depth to it because you know Hallmark movies are so I don't know frivolous I guess. You know they're cotton candy it's all sugar but this added a little more depth to it. There was, you know, reasons for them doing all these holiday activities. They were trying to keep the kids happy and to give them as much of a real Christmas as they could. Honestly, I don't know why this wasn't on Movies and Mysteries at the very least, because it sure felt dark and, and dramatic. Well, I mean, how terrible is it that the kids lose their parents 
And then they lose the only home they've ever known since their parents, where they've been living for five years. So then they're going to live with their uncles who have sole custody of them. And all one uncle wants to do is send them away to boarding school, never to see them. I mean, that is the underlying sadness of it. In the beginning, it's like they're just things to him that he can send away and his justification being, well, that's where I went, so they can do it too. Honestly, it felt like this movie should have been a period piece that took place during like World War Two or something. Like these are some British children during the Blitz who got sent away to some estate in the country where they'd be safer. You know, it felt very the first part of Narnia or something. Where it's just so dark. Is it because of the house? Because the house is very... It's a very grand house, but also... New england yeah. so cold and distant. But then at the end, he's like, you know, you just had to ask me, and I would have said yes to all these things. But he's very cold about it up until that point. Well, that's the thing about Hallmark villains, though. They're mean, 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 up until the final ten minutes when all the plot unravels and then is wrapped up in a tidy bow. And like, oh, I'm a good guy after all. I was just terrible for an hour and a half. Yeah, if there's any actual confrontation, they just crumble. Yeah, exactly. I did end up liking it, despite the, the very depressing tone of it. There were plenty of plot holes. Her job really baffles me. I don't know if she was his personal assistant or his executive assistant, because the duties she is taking on seem like they should not be the same person handling them. Honestly, it was an unhealthy work environment, but I guess it worked for her. They had some sort of personal relationship. He was like a mentor to her, even though their family kind of sucks. Especially if she's moving up to be in a position of power, you would think that he would spend more time helping her transition and getting to the business side of it than being like, hey, watch my nieces and nephews who I don't even really know. I mean, she volunteered for that, though, which... When I originally read the description for this, I thought this is insane that this woman has to give up her holidays to take care of someone else's family. But I didn't realize that she was an orphan, that the kids were orphans, that she volunteered for the job and then the brother offered to help out. Oh, yeah, because I think we were like, we were like, why are the parents away? They're not away. They're dead. Well, I thought I thought they were Max's kids and that she's basically getting a nanny for him over the holidays. Yeah, the way it was described in the promo list was not accurate at all. But what I do love is the ending where she was like, I'm in love with these kids. It wasn't even just all about Max. It was also kind of like a love story between her and the kids. Yeah, she's in love with the family and she feels like for the first time she has that family. And I like that aspect about it. It wasn't just like, oh, I got the guy, but she got the family. I still think that would have been an incredibly weird situation, though. If, if she and Max hadn't fallen in love and we assume that they eventually get married and adopt these kids, the implication that this woman decides to spend her life raising children that are not her children just to stop them from going to boarding school, what an insane setup that would be. That would be an insane like She works setup. all day at a law firm and then comes home to someone else's house to raise these children and then goes home to her own house at night. Yeah. <laughs> what a what a choice she made. I did enjoy that Max was in love with her from the beginning and it was sort of a one-sided love story because I feel like that doesn't happen a lot in Hallmark movies. It's either an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend that you haven't seen in years and then you reconnect or someone that you've just met or you start out in love with this guy and pretend to be dating that guy and then end up falling in love with that guy by the end of the movie. Yeah. But I don't think I've seen one before where one person was in love with the other person from the beginning. 
Now, you're a fan of Katrina Law and her other movies. Does she always wear red? Because 90% of this movie, she's wearing red. She wears a lot of red, but isn't that the Hallmark staple? I've been taking pictures of every single huge dress reveal. Because at the end of all these movies... Or maybe I'll do one for Thanksgiving and then one for after Christmas. I've been taking a picture of the final dress reveal. And I feel like 80% of the dresses are all red. Now, granted, she does wear red a lot. But I wanted to note, which I had in my notes, is that there's this one dress that she wears, um, like, in the middle of the movie that was not a traditional Christmas color. I think it was, like, teal or, like... I thought it was a pretty color, but it was too... It was very conservative, but yeah, she does wear a lot of red. It was a crazy amount of red, though. I think there's maybe three times in this entire movie where she's not in red. Another thing I noticed was that for a movie where everyone is an orphan, there were a lot of birth order themes. Like, she's an only child. She very much acts like an only child. Charles is the oldest, and he acts like the oldest. Max is the youngest, and he's sort of you know, charismatic and just having fun while Charles is very businessy. Their middle child is literally not there. And then the middle child had three kids and they also have a very birth order existence where the oldest child is so worried about taking care of the younger kids and the youngest is the only one who's really able to have fun because <laughs> the others are trying to ensure that she's able to have fun. I also noted that Max and Jessica said I love you several times, which I don't know if they always say that I love you at the end of the movie so much as just kiss and end up together. But not only did they say I love you in this one, they said it multiple times. And they kissed three times. I counted the kisses, yes. Yeah, not every movie does it. Sometimes it's just the one kiss. But sometimes they do say like, oh, I'm falling for you. I think I'm falling in love with you. How long were they in that situation? Was it just a couple of weeks? Was it longer? I thought it was only one week, maybe two. But her friend references a Jane Austen quote. Seven years would be insufficient to make some people acquainted with each other. And seven days are more than enough for others. So I assume they were together for a week. Plus, Max was already in love with her. And they'd known each other for years. Only in the sense that she was his brother's assistant. That is true. They had known. Yeah, he was already in love with her, so... Yeah, and she was familiar enough with him. She just hadn't realized all these things about him because... You know, she'd been working for his brother, who always talked about how Max was just off having fun, going on ski trips and doing whatever he wanted. And so she didn't realize that there was more to Max, like the fact that he donates toys to this kid's drive every year, that he volunteers in the pediatric ward at the hospital, that there was more to him than what she was seeing from his brother's perspective. So a pothole that I thought was kind of weird, and I guess it was a way for them to create drama, but this businessman who comes along at their final party and he takes a liking to max ends up wanting max to run their company in taiwan he's supposed to be very family oriented he hires the firm because it shows their love for family their love for the holidays but then he wants max to leave before christmas to go start working or was it his brother doing it was it the businessman who wanted that or was it his brother who wanted him to leave early yeah that seemed a little weird The brother implied that the client wanted it, but I feel like if Max had actually talked to the client, he would have been like, no, why would you leave before the holidays? You should be with those kids. Which he ended up doing at the end. Yes. But it was still like, that's so weird for, I mean, I guess it was just a way to create drama, but I'm like, the business man would be like, enjoy your holidays. I'll see you at the end of the, you know, I'll see you in the new year. Yeah, it was a bit contrived and unjustified. 
Just like the fact that Max is the slacker brother, but is apparently president of this company. Or the fact that she's such an incredible assistant, but is also going to law school this whole time. Yeah. (laughs) The setup for this movie with them trying to cram in as much Christmas as possible for these kids really lent itself to a lot of tropes. They go on a carriage ride, which I think I need to add to my trope list because we've had at least two carriage rides so far. They had a Christmas party arbitrary Christmas deadline. The nephew wanted to get a puzzle to do at Christmas, which I really enjoyed because that's something my family does at Christmas is buy a jigsaw puzzle that we all do together. Oh yeah, that's always fun. I liked when they were baking cookies and the oldest daughter wanted to make toffee because her mom had liked toffee and then it turned out the housekeeper had the mom's recipe for toffee. That's one example of what I was talking about with where the sad backstory added a little more depth to something. It's not just, oh, I love sugar cookies. It's this toffee is a part of our personal history and a way for me to connect with my my dead mother. I also like that they made ornaments, but then they made the special acknowledgement that the ornaments were bird friendly, which was kind of a cute little detail, I thought. Yeah, they decorate the trees outside using homemade ornaments that animals can eat which i did enjoy but also makes me really question them putting electric lights on those trees then if you're intending for these animals to come up and eat everything you're putting on the tree, then you put they could be battery led lights right you're still risking that some deer is gonna chew on that wire though but the lights are pretty (laughs) they are pretty i just feel like they don't coincide with this organic edible tree but if you had a pine coal dipped in peanut butter or you know a twinkly light wouldn't you rather eat the pine cone dipped in peanut butter i hope so i don't know we should go find some deer and ask them do some christmas experiments (laughs) yes let's do it they also build snowmen they go to a coffee shop to get some hot chocolate and not only did that coffee shop have multiple hot chocolate flavors They had a sign in the background advertising hot chocolate flights. So clearly we're not the only people who think hot chocolate flight is a good idea. They also, on a personal level, I enjoyed when Max and Jessica eat grilled cheese and tomato soup. Because that's what my friends and I normally eat when we're watching our Hallmark movie marathons. We make grilled cheese and tomato soup every year. I guess that's the closest I'm going to get this year, is watching Max and Jessica. (laughs) Our next podcast, we can each make grilled cheese. I don't know. We could share some grilled cheese recipes or something. Yeah, we actually do a flight of grilled cheese every year. We make a big thing of tomato soup, and then we have four or five different grilled cheeses, and we just kind of slice them up into dippers so everyone can have a little bit of each one. What do you put in them? We do a broccoli cheddar one. We do a pizza one. We do... So there's a... I don't know if it still exists, but there at least used to be a grilled cheese restaurant in Los Angeles called The Melt. Yes. One of my favorites there was called The Italian Job, and it was basically grilled cheese on garlic bread, and it was so good. So we replicate that one. Sounds I always delicious. make one that I love that's fresh mozzarella and roasted red peppers. And then we always have one that's just a plain cheese, and that's it, just a single cheese. And we used to rotate what cheese it was, but then one year we used Munster and realized that it was maybe the best grilled cheese we've ever made. So now we just always use Munster. Munster is the yeah. king of cheeses, It's so melty. Yes. Um, but it has like a yes. nice, I don't know, sort of nutty, mild flavor to it. So a Munster on sourdough is my go-to grilled cheese. That's what I usually do with my grilled cheese too. Munster and, and sourdough, Great. yeah. Love it. You can fit right <laughs> into our grilled cheese flight club. 
Yes. Sometimes I put a little bit of Italian seasoning yeah. on the bread, sprinkle a little Sometimes bit on the Sometimes I'll mix the yeah. Munster with the Italian jab and add the garlic bread and a little bit of red pepper flakes to add a little spice to it, but oh, so good. All right, now I'm hungry. I know, this was a mistake. <laughs> it's just, it's not cold enough here for me to make tomato soup yet, so. Soon, in a few weeks, I feel like. In a few get weeks. There. Yeah, yeah I, I'm hopefully still going to travel for Christmas. I'm just going to go home, and they're in upstate New York, so that's when I'm going to make my grilled cheese and, and tomato soup. Yeah, you should make them your flight. I will. I'll force them to join me in, in my own holiday exactly. traditions. <laughs> so this movie had some decent diversity. I think we previously discussed that Katrina Law is, I think, half Asian. Yeah, she's Taiwanese. In, Taiwanese, real, in real life, she's Taiwanese and German, I believe. Okay. And then in this movie, the very opening scene of this movie has a lot of exposition crammed in, but she introduces herself to a delivery guy as Charles Darling's executive assistant, Jessica Liu, or whatever her, her name is. But it was it was an Asian name. Max has a brief interaction with his friends who are diverse. And then Jessica has a best friend who I believe is the first Hallmark lesbian. Her friend Zoe is a surgeon at the hospital where Max volunteers, which is how she finds out about that later on. But they go to this coffee shop, which becomes a recurring set for this movie. And Zoe has sort of flirty thing going on with the woman who runs the coffee shop. So Jessica invites Kate, who is the barista coffee shop proprietor, to come to this Christmas fair that Zoe is going to be working at to raise money for the hospital. Kate, I believe, she looked maybe Hawaiian. And then the client that they're trying to sign is Asian. So, you know, they have some good diversity. Again, it's always side characters, but they're getting better at least. Yeah, even though, you know, it was the first official gay couple on Hallmark, they still didn't quite say it. It was more like longing looks and gentle glances. But, you know, like we said, they're dipping their foot in the pool. Yeah, she did at one point say, we have a date. She did, yes. Yes, the foot is in the pool. Now we just got to get the whole body yeah. in there. They got, yeah, Exactly, <laughs> they got to acclimate their mostly Christian audience base first. Yeah. Oh man, I it's been so long since I watched this movie. I don't know what these notes mean anymore. <laughs> I wrote down notes for two of my favorite lines, and one was the one you already mentioned about when she offers to watch the kids. But I also wrote down a fish, and I don't know what that's referring to. You just wrote down a fish. A fish. There was a line about a fish. It sounds familiar, don't... but I don't. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, if I can find it again, here's where I insert the line about a fish. Okay, I remember what the fish reference was, and it's when the youngest of the nieces has a nightmare and comes in to find Max, and he says, Oh, no. What about? And she says, Fish. What a great line that was. A sure fish. did enjoy it find us on twitter at binging xmas pod on instagram at binging christmas or you can email us at binging christmas podcast at gmail.com thanks for listening to binging christmas and remember if you're going to kiss a man in a christmas jumper don't forget to check first whether it's the american or british version
No deer were harmed in the making of this podcast.